Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Blanca Lesmeth, co-founder and CEO of BB Imaging and Consulting, a diagnostic medical sonography and consulting service that she's grown to $5 million in revenue without taking outside capital. In this episode, we go through how she started this business, going through the tough times of 2008 with the recession, how she made it out of there and what she did after that to grow the company, what she's been able to do to help the company culture and, and the role it plays in difficult conversations, her decision to get an MBA and how she applied her knowledge to growing her business, the shift from bootstrapping to fundraising and the process of building an advisory board, how she's thinking through potentially fundraising for her company, the big vision for her company, and so much more in this episode. As always, these show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Blanca Lesmes, co-founder and CEO of BB Imaging and Consulting. Blanca, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. And with BB Imaging, tell me about what this company is doing today. So we are an ultrasound company that is really focused on a high risk obstetrical care. We do some other general ultrasound as well, but um, we really aim to make ultrasound more accessible by going to different locations. So we'll go to hospitals and obstetrical offices. Um, We don't go house to house, um, but we really focus on just bringing a higher level of technician into some of these existing uh, areas. I love that. And with this company, so this has been around for 15 years at this point, how did this get started in the first place, Blanca? Well, you know, I always knew I would do something entrepreneurial. I grew up, uh, my parents were in the restaurant industry. I knew I was not going to be in the restaurant industry, (laughs) Um, but I I did always know that I, I would be my own boss. It was just kind of, you know, when you grow up in that environment, it's just kind of the norm. Um, but my husband was actually working as a sonographer in a uh, physician office here in town. And it occurred to us one day that, hey, you know, you're seeing, you know, all of these patients in a given day. We knew it was lucrative, quite frankly. You know, my, my, the mental math was going for me. <laughs> um, and we just thought that we could probably offer this service to different physicians throughout Austin and beyond Austin. Um, because there was such a shortage of the sonographer. Um, And that shortage continues today. So um, the the goal really was just to be able to offer more ultrasound um, just independently. That was was it. That was a problem we were trying to solve. And when you started then, what was the initial business around that? Was it just a, like one location you would start from? Like how did this work look initially? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny. We did, we were pretty nerdy in the beginning. Um, so my <laughs> undergrad, you know, we were young also, but um, my undergrad was in business. And so I actually went to the SBA website, the small business administrative website, and they had um, business plan templates. And so we actually did two business plan de- templates. We did one for this ultrasound business as we thought it was going to be. And we did think at that point that we were going to go house to house. That was that was our original hypothesis. We can go house to house, you know, it'd be so easy, you know, be fast, <laughs> it'd be great, we'll make so much money. And when we did the business plan, it was terrible. The economics of going house to house. Um, and back then the, the equipment was massive. You're talking about a 500, piece, uh, 500 pound piece of equipment. We had to get a van. So the logistics of taking this in and out of people's homes, like 
we didn't really think that through in the first iteration. So when we did the business plan, we actually realized this is a terrible idea. Um, and we opted to go from obstetrician office to obstetrician office, really thinking about working with the rural areas first, like farther outside of, of Austin. Um, so Texas is, you know, expansive, you know, unlike the Northeast, when you drive three hours, you can cross <laughs> three states, you know, here you drive three hours, you're still another six hours to get out of Texas. Yeah. Um, so our thought was, let's go to, you know, smaller communities an hour, hour and a half outside of Austin and try to bring ultrasound services uh, to areas that have uh, less, uh, you know, the less options. Um, but we got pulled back into the city center uh, and really just focused on the urban areas, you know, for the first, uh, I don't know, maybe first 10 years or so. With that, just to dive a little bit deeper on that, when you're looking at these different markets, I mean, what was the approach to even enter a new market at that time? Well, you know, we were a little bit naive. We first were working off of relationships that we had in the healthcare market. So that was that was the first thing. Like we knew the space. Um, my husband had worked uh, in the obstetrical market, so he knew the players. So the thought was, let's go to folks that would be friendly to us first and let's get in one and try to leverage that relationship and then ask them for a friend who might be willing to have us come out for a day. And so we just did that. It was kind of um, very slow growth in the beginning. Um, and we just were, were really basing our expansion on referrals. Um, the healthcare market is so trust-based. And this took me a long time actually to realize, um, but it makes sense if you take a moment. Um, you know, physicians are, are risk averse because if they get something wrong, that's somebody's life in their hands, right? And so yeah. if you're going to do something new or something kind of outlandish, you have to trust the person that you're doing that with. And so we really have come to realize it, you know, if you're going to be a trusted advisor or a trusted vendor, that is really essential for you to grow your your product or your service. And that's really what I would recommend anyone looking at the healthcare industry for technology or for service, um, that you, you have to be somebody that can be trusted. Um, otherwise, it just it doesn't work. It's very hard to break into. How did you go about building that trust in the early, early days then of this, Blanca? We couldn't get it wrong. You know, I think that's, that was the <laughs> bottom line. Like there, there just wasn't, you, you couldn't make a bad call. Um, you had to be available um, if you said you were going to do something, you had to follow through. Um, I think that's universal, you know, in a, in a way. Um, yeah. But I, I also think it's kind of slightly next level in the healthcare industry. Um, so it was just being really on point early on. I mean, it wasn't easy and we were s small for a really long time. I, I, I want to be like really frank that you know, we've, we've gotten to the size over 15 years, and I would say the majority of our growth has been in the last five. So it's taken us a long time to tweak. We had the recession in there from, you know, 2008 that totally basically made us start over. Um, and it was just really challenging. It was challenging to get out of that. We're a small uh, company kind of mentality. Um, yeah, so that's, that's been a big shift for us in the last five years. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to dive into all of that. So yeah. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get to that. One thing I want to go to first, though, is is that recession. So when the recession hit in 2008, you were in business already for roughly three years. But what happened at that point for your company, Blanca? 
Oh God, it was so terrible. It was so <laughs> terrible. Oh man. You know, I, I remember it like it was just yesterday. Um, I remember in September, you know, we were a small company and, yeah. you know, we leveraged credit cards. That was the way we couldn't access cash. There wasn't, you know, you couldn't go into the bank and just say, Hey, give me a loan. That, that wasn't our reality, you know? And um, so we leveraged credit cards. We had a line of credit. Um, we felt like we were pretty responsible with it. Um, but overnight, I remember getting like five letters in saying, you know, your credit card lines are capped at where you are. So if we owed $3,000 on the card, you know, the max spend was now $3,000. So overnight, we had no purchasing power, like just nothing. Um, so cash got tight really, really fast for us. And it was, it was awful. We tried to put the, the, oh gosh, this is so sad, but we tried to, I'm, I'm like having like getting high just thinking about it right yeah. now. Um, but we, we actually tried to sell the company at that point. We we're like, we've got to unload this. Like it's, it's not going to work. You know, we can't, we, we just don't have the cash to support it. Payroll was getting harder and harder every, every two weeks. You know, we were definitely not paying ourselves. Um, and we, we tried to sell it. And uh, a broker came back to us and said, okay, you'll need to bring uh, 300,000 to the table um, to be able to sell this. And we were like, wait, we're selling it. <laughs> like, Someone's <laughs> supposed to bring us money. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. How does, I never heard of this deal structure. Um, and so unless we were willing to file bankruptcy, we could not unload the business. And again, I mentioned, I always saw myself as an entrepreneur and in those days, bankruptcy was the kiss of death. Like that was it. I had bootstrapped, you know, I had never raised around, but it was already hard enough to get a loan from the bank. I knew if I had a bankruptcy on my credit report, I would never get a loan from a bank. So that was just not an option. Uh, so at the same time, you know, my personal relationship with my husband was completely deteriorating. Um, we got divorced in the middle of all of that. Um, it, it was just, you know, anything that could go wrong, you know, was just going wrong. You know, my house was up for foreclosure, you know, you know, any sad country song written in 2008 did apply, except for I didn't have a horse, um, you know, but like I was going to lose the ranch, you know, my love had left me. It was going down. It was all going down fast. Um, but yeah, in, in a really crazy way, what we learned um in between 2008 and really 2012, that's when we started feeling like we were coming out of it. Um, what we learned in those days, I think were absolutely formative for us for now. Like I, I look at that, like just, just the way we spend, the way we expand, um, you know, we feel a lot more resilient. I'm not scared in business. Like I don't have, I don't have a fear of failure because we were already there, you know, it's like we were yeah. there and we would have had to pay to sell the business. Like, how's that for great? You know, like right. we didn't just lose, we tanked. Um, so I, I don't, I don't live in that fear. Like I've been there. So it's, it's known now. So through that time block, I mean, what kept you going mentally through obviously a recession, business is struggling, relationship struggle? I mean, what kept you going through that? What was helpful for you? It's a good question. I have an amazing group of girlfriends, um, like an amazing group of girlfriends and the, the type who were bringing me groceries because they knew I was so flat broke. 
that they'd yeah. be like, oh, we're just going to swing by and have some dinner. And they would leave stuff in my refrigerator because that that's how bad it was. Um, I had a girlfriend that was bringing me her recycled trash bags um, because I literally could not afford like glad, you know, like just the yeah. regular old trash bag. Like I just couldn't. So I was using like shopping bags, you know, which is such a probably what we should do anyways from a waste perspective. But <laughs> it was such a, a a meaningful thing that it has really stuck with me. You know, like even to that detail, I had friends who were taking care of me. So I feel like although I have bootstrapped um, this organization, if there is a term for being community backed um, personally, like I feel like I have been community backed for a very long time. Um, So I think that was really what kept me going. And then I had two small kids. So you're kind of in a suck it up buttercup, you know, like you don't have time (laughs) to be whining, you know, like either get it done, you know, or, you know call it a day and calling it a day was just not an option for me. Yeah. You hear those stories of, of people who go through struggle and oftentimes there's no way you go through it alone. I mean, I love that you brought that up. Your, your girlfriends and being that supportive group because it's so tough and people who struggle for years to go through, you know, their businesses and things that happen. uh, Yeah. We have people around us that support us and that's, that's incredibly important along the way for you as well. You got an MBA during that time. Take me through the process of why you wanted to get an MBA at the time. Interesting that that follows up the sanity question, because I would say getting my MBA at that time. So I enrolled in 2008 at uh, at UT and it was the absolute best thing I could have done for myself. Um, I didn't have um, the business acumen that I needed to move the company forward. I just lacked it. You know, I I didn't have enough um, enough depth of knowledge. Um, So that was really critical for me. Um, I, I would just pick up concepts, um, you know, from one weekend and then Monday I'd be like, okay, this is the way we're doing it now, you know? And it was just very quick turnaround time. Um, I also leveraged my classmates, like as much as one could, you know, if there was an assignment, like pick a company and, you know, <laughs> take apart their PL and tell me how they could do it better. Um, and so I had a few classmates that used my company um, for like their strategic management uh, class And so then I would always get this feedback of this is the way you should do it. So I had these amazing, you know, um, other students in in the class with me who had had, you know, they had worked, you know, at McKinsey, they had worked at, you know, Dell, you know, they had had just different corporate experience that I didn't have. And they would take apart my company and say, this is how you do it better. And I was not ashamed to, to take their ideas and implement. Um, and ask them, okay, am I doing this right now? And it was it was really formative for me. Through that as well, I mean, that's that is so beneficial. I know from getting my MBA this year that there were so many people who either had companies or had things they were working on previously that we, as my classmates, definitely helped them on. Yeah, <laughs> there's an, an idea, and that uh, can be useful part of the MBA as well. If you have an idea, if you're the person that has an actual company already, you can use that for your projects and all of that. And there's so many things you could talk about around the MBA, but. One of the things you had mentioned previously as well is really coming out of that recession took took some time. It wasn't until like 2012 or so that you really were coming out of it. At that point in time, where was the business around that point in time, roughly? What, what was the company's size or what was the team like? I'm just curious as to kind of the, the context around where your business was back then, like maybe 2012 or so. 2012, we were probably doing about a million dollars in revenue, maybe, or somewhere around there. Um uh, EBITDA might've been 20 K like it was, it was small. Um, yeah. 
the company size, we were probably 20, eh, maybe not even that. I would say maybe about 15 uh, people and not all full-time. Um, I would say we might've had seven to eight full-time and then the rest were part-time support. Um, yeah, so we were, we were still pretty small uh, at that point. But I remember in 2008, we had our first layoffs that we'd ever had. And that when you're a small team, you know, if you're a team of 20 and you're laying off five people, um, that messes with you. You know, these aren't just, you know, they're not numbers. They don't, they're not employee IDs. You know, these are the people that, you know, you you break bread with, you know, they're they're people, you know, they're kids, you know, you go to their kids events. And so laying them off, we we did it in a way. um, and, And interestingly, we kind of mirrored this when COVID happened. Um, We did it in a way that was not, um, it was, uh, how, how do I say, um, it was not performance-based. Um, you know, it, at that time, the recession was hitting everybody financially really hard. And so if somebody had a dual income household, uh, we let them go. If somebody lived with their parents, we let them go. Um, because we didn't want to leave, you know, the single moms out of a source of income. And so we did it in this way that, was really trying to be mindful of who has options and who's going to keep a roof over their head versus, you know, this person's more, you know, has greater output and therefore they should stay on. We just didn't do it that way. Um, I stand by that approach. I think it was the right one. We have talked to team members from that time in hindsight, and they all were very appreciative for it. Like they could understand the decision and that decision-making process. Um, so when, when COVID happened in March, um, of course, we're, we were all kind of reeling from it. We did furlough team members right away because we were concerned about the health of the organization uh, if this was going to go for a long time and if things closed to zero. So we furloughed team members right away. And we, we actually took the same approach. We said, OK, if they are single parent, it's off the table. Like, it, we're not going to do that. Um, yeah. You know, who has other options? Um, until we can figure out uh, a longer term solution, you know, just because we didn't know, you know, you know, four weeks yeah. after COVID hits, we just didn't know how it was going to continue. Well, and now even we don't know how it's going to end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. we're in it now, but just trying to figure it out. Uh, on that note, and actually with with your experience with this company, was, you know, we're going to continue the story on as well. But how do you have those? difficult conversations or what has been helpful for you to have difficult conversations with people over the course of your career? Difficult conversations, if they are couched in a company culture that is genuine, become less difficult. They can be about growing somebody um, or a bad fit. You know, it can be about that. If the company culture is such that you are honoring the individual on a day-to-day basis. Um, I'm not going to say we get it right all the time. And I tell my team this all, all the time. We're like, we will get it wrong sometimes. But our intention needs to be that we are working towards that end. And if our intention is always there and we really are putting the people at the center of our organization, um, difficult conversations are, again, still still challenging, um, but they aren't overwhelming. So I, I would say that like focusing on company culture, even early on, even if it's a team of two or three, um, I think if you don't set that in the beginning, you won't have it in the end. Well, to that point, then, how have you gone about the company culture side of things, or at least how do you think through that with with your company and your experience so far? 
Yeah, so I have really stolen best practices from a few companies. Um, I love Southwest Airlines. Um, I I think, you know, how they focus on um, their people um, and their customers is really interesting to me. Um, I I remember learning that even uh, potential employees, like folks that have applied who get rejected, like rejected candidates, even rejected candidates are really treated with kick gloves. And I think that's um, really important because you're thinking, okay, this is not, not going to be an employee of ours, but they're a potential customer of ours. So how do we salvage the relationship, even though there could be some hurt feelings? And I think taking that approach with everybody is a great, um, it just speaks to the culture that they are trying to create. Um, you know, one of our early tenants, like early, early, I want to say in like year two, when we had two or three team members on was happy staff like smiley face, happy staff. Like that is mm-hmm. a, it, it is a something that we strive for. And happy can be such a like, ah, uh, you know, what does happy mean? You know, <laughs> like you can kind of go down that path. But if you kind of get the gist of it, like if you could wear the t-shirt with a smiley face, that's what we're talking about. Like just a happy staff member. So I think for us, happy staff has been kind of code word for Check in with morale. Is everyone doing okay? You know, we we offer massages to our sonographers so they can keep their arms healthy. You know, that's something that's really kind of, you know, groundbreaking in the ultrasound world. Like, how can you do that? It's like, it's. I would rather pay for a massage than for physical therapy because they get injured. Like we could do either one. Yeah. What do we want to do? But I think little things like that, like what really makes your team tick? Like what are they motivated by? You should know that. As, as a founder, you should know why are they working with you? You should know that. And you should be playing to that strength. And from that, then that's how you've you've gone about the team side of things. And I'm sure it's you know adjusted along the way as you've learned and, and grown in your own company as an entrepreneur as well. In 2012, you mentioned you know coming out of the recession, really getting back to a really good point, a million in revenue. But you said that in the last five years, so maybe 2015 or so to 2020, you've really experienced the majority of your growth. Mm-hmm. What has happened in these last five years that's allowed you to grow faster than previously? I think, oh, such a good question. Um, a few things. I will say in the last two years, my focus has really been on building a team around leadership. So a kind of a higher level. So I had never had a board of directors. I never had an advisory board. And really just in the last year, we have absolutely formalized that. And what we see with the level of accountability, and it's such an obvious thing now that we've done it, but what you see with accountability, (laughs) like for even personally, right? Like sometimes as a founder, you're working, you know, by yourself and you're making these decisions in a silo. And I feel pretty lucky that I have uh, some people on my team that I can talk through things with, but it is different when you have somebody who is smarter than you, someone who's had successful exits, who's gotten a company to the size that you're striving for, you know, for them to hold you accountable. Um, and it's, it's really extraordinary to be in that process. Um, I wish I had done that earlier. I feel like I waited way too long for it. Um, but I also think the access to capital, um, which is unfortunate, you know, I think for, for companies of our size and our demographic, it is an ongoing challenge, you know, and how do you uh, how do you access capital in a way that will help you grow? Um, I think for us, it took us a long time to figure that out, um, like what the right mix of equipment financing, 
um, and lines of credit. I, I think that just, it, it took us a long time to get the access we needed. Um, I think in this day and age, you know, especially with so much of uh, the movement that happened this summer, what we're realizing is that some there's there's greater access just because there's been a voice to it. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that for my fellow founders who have typically struggled um, with being able to access cash for growth. Um, I think that's a very promising sign that we're seeing in the markets right now. And with that as well, Blanca, how are you looking at that for the future of what you want to do at BB Imaging in terms of growth? Yeah, so we actually, we've been a service company, um, you know, for all these years. And this past year, we opened a tech arm to our company. Um, So we are expanding into the realm of telesonography. So we have prototyped a technology um, so that we can really increase access to prenatal care. Um, in our some of our more uh, rural areas or underserved areas, because some some areas, you know, in you know outside of Houston, uh, don't have ultrasound services that that we have right now, uh, and it's just it's a question of access. Um, so we are endeavoring into the technology space. So as a matter of fact, you know, we we've never uh, raised funds before, so we're in the middle of a fundraise right now. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic. We have a, a lead investor that did come on with us. So we're, we're incredibly excited about that. Um, and I, I think that being able to have some folks that really champion what you are doing matters. Um, so that goes back to having that advisory board and, and the uh, board of directors. Had we not done that, um, we would not have this lead investor. And I think that kind of thinking through that, what does it mean to have a board of experts at your disposal um, can be really impactful for a company that's growing. With that advisory board, how did you go about building that, choosing who you wanted to have on that? How did that go for you? So um, I'm Latina. And so I will start with some premise that it was incredibly important to me that our advisory board was diverse. Um, yeah. I, I That was just like we're going to start there. So if I wanted great, to great be place diverse, to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like if I again it's this idea of having intention, right? So if that's what I want, I can't bring, you know, five Latinas on my board. Like that's that's not gonna give me what I want, right? Like I need a little <laughs> bit of everything. Um, so I started there and then I started just being very intentional, calling um friends in my network. I I have been pretty fortunate that I have worked in community organizations uh, in the Austin area. I've mentored quite a bit. So I do have good connections with individuals who are running their own companies or, um, you know, they've got experience in areas that I wanted. So I looked for somebody who uh, had a technology firm. So I I, uh, asked a CEO friend of mine who's got a a software company here in town. Um, There was a gentleman who is is working with um, the social determinants of uh, of care. And, you know, I, I thought, okay, great. I, I would love to pick him up. Um, he's also happens to be African-American. So that was great. Um, I wanted a physician on team. Um, so I looked for a, a female uh, physician. Um, so, so slowly, but with intention, I really started building uh, the board that way. Um, and, and that really worked incredibly well. I think sometimes you have to think about it I I never thought about those individuals as being on my team. 
I always thought about them as somebody that I could pick up the phone and ask a question to, you know, like I yeah. thought if I need something, they're always like, call me if you need anything. Right. And, and how many times do we do that for other people? Like, Hey, if I could ever help you with your podcast, you know, yeah. I'm happy to walk you through it, but we don't take people up when they are truly giving of their talents. And yeah. I really decided this past year to say yes um, to what people are, are offering their skills, because I do believe that everything I need is provided. I believe that like on a universe level, I believe everything I need is provided. I have to look at it and see it, <laughs> but I do believe it is all here. I do believe it's all here. And maybe that's too, you know, frou-frou, I don't know. You know, nah, I, get you it. Know? <laughs> I understand it. Cause I actually, I mean, even to that point, I have people all the time mention similar things to me of like, I would love to help out in some capacity. And only when I really dove in full time in August, uh, have I started actually hitting people up on that more. I'd be like, well, admittedly, I do need help on a lot of different things. And so if you're willing to, it's what we could do. And it's been helpful. It's incredibly helpful for me as in growing my own thing as well. And for you, I'm curious as to how that's structured in terms of you knew you wanted certain people on board per se, like how is that structured? Just the, what's the agreement like? What's the expectation? I'm just curious around, around that. So um, I basically compensate them for their time is what yeah. I do. And so I compensate them for their time. I am, uh, again, our company has been around now, so we do have the resources to be able to do that. Um, I think that if you were did not have the funds, but you had the ability to, you know, do some kind of equity arrangement, I'm sure, you know, that that would be an option as well. I know you don't want to give it all away in the beginning, but I do think you need to weigh the benefits of having powerhouse people on your side versus endeavoring alone. Um, I, I just, it, it is, I would say, like, I don't regret many things, but if there's anything I could have told myself even five years ago, that is the one thing I would have done because it's game changing. Um, yeah. One of our advisors, uh, you know, talking about the access to capital, um, you know, I, I've been with this uh, bank here. It's a, a, a regional bank. I've been with them for like, I don't know, 10 years. They, they were pretty good when we started off and that we were able to get an equipment loan. Terms weren't fantastic, but they, you know, we were able to get it, which it was like, thank yeah. you. Great. No one else would give it to me. Um, and and this particular advisor was like, you know, would, would, you know, consider, you know, another bank who may be able to give you a larger line of credit. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking. I've got excellent credit, never been able to do it. He put some <laughs> calls in on my behalf. I actually interviewed um, some uh, CFOs of some banks here and I got a line of credit in like five seconds. And they were like, yeah, it's very doable. Your numbers are great, whatever. And I was like, I've had these same numbers. Like these are, you know what I mean? Like not that much is different. Right, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same thing. <laughs> but the difference is that somebody called in a kind of a background check, right? Like they vouched mm -hmm. for me. And I think I'm really trying to figure out, I was just talking to a girlfriend last night. She was like, how do you keep the door open? That's what she asked me. How do you keep the door open for someone behind you? And I was like, I don't know the answer to that because I just got here. Like, I, I don't know how I do that yet. Like, I, I have to learn that. But it was such an extraordinary thing that instantaneously, it felt instantaneous, you know, even though it's been like 15 years of slogging oh, along, you know, <laughs> um, but it was amazing that he could put a call in. I could have 500 K in line overnight. Like when I say overnight, it couldn't have been more than about 48 hours. Like it was yeah. that fast. And then ironically, you know, the, the, um, uh, the PPP, 
happened with COVID. Yep. This is like, because this is like, I'm telling you, this is just real time here. You know, that was February. So I have this new relationship with this bank. PPP comes out. I, I don't even really know this banker really well. And I'm like, look, can you please submit on my behalf? He submitted the first day. I was in the first round of PPP wow. recipients. Like, I, I was like, this is all because I have this relationship with this new advisor who's really advocating for us. None of that would have happened. If I would have gone many more months into COVID, who knows how that could have changed things for us. You know, like thankfully yeah. we're in healthcare and, and we haven't hit too much of a, of a, of a, you know, we've had decreased sales, but it hasn't been too big of a hit, quite frankly, but we didn't know then, right? We didn't know. And I just think when you can have that somebody advocating for you and really being your ally, um, you just don't feel like you're alone at it. And it just feels so much easier. I mean, like it's exponentially easier. It's so weird. I can't believe that it's been 15 <laughs> years. That, that's why I'm saying, like, I'm kind of kicking my, like, why didn't I do this before? Well, like, I'm this is the exact reason why I love doing this this show because if people can learn from that exact thing where it took you 15 years to get to that point, someone hears that and then like, wait a minute, I should implement that earlier in my business and that saves them that much time and struggle. That's why I love doing this because that exact reason that you mentioned right there, it's like you have that insight. It took you a while to learn it, but now you have it. Yeah, let's save people from bumping their heads against the wall, right, Justin? <laughs> well, there's going to be a thousand other problems, right, Blanca? That's like, true. That's true. You, you know, so if I can decrease the number of problems yeah. and make the, you know, just give them uh, some other ones, that'd be fine. And, <laughs> and one of the, you know, like there's going to be some. I can't eliminate all of them. Can't do the work for them. But um, one of the things I want to go back to, which I think is is fascinating, and I think people, a lot of people probably have a similar thing in business. Going from a service-based business to really providing a platform of sorts, a tech solution, this is a different thing. How have you gone about this so far in terms of this transition? Obviously, it's kind of ongoing of sorts. How have you gone about this? It, it definitely has been a process. Part of the process has been messaging to my existing team um, that I, I don't want them to be afraid of the technology that is coming. And yeah. so that is probably the biggest... Um, the biggest piece of transition that I'm facing right now is how do I bring along this team of 70 onto this new journey? Um, so it's a lot of messaging right now, uh, trying to be very transparent, trying to share as much of the journey with them as I'm moving along. So that way they can slowly wrap their head around it. Like my mind has been on this technology for a few years. I'm just now implementing. So yeah. I need to give them time to come to that. Um, the second piece is building the team um, for this new expertise. So really focusing on what do I need next? Um, you know, we outsourced our development um, and that went relatively well. Uh, we learned a lot from that process um, and just looking at, okay, what is going to be the best option as we continue to move past this out of prototype? Um, we were pretty lucky. Um, HCA is one of the largest hospital corporations in, in the U.S. Um, and we got a meeting with them and they're really interested in the technology. So that was such a win for us. But it was really the technology is being created because we're, we've got the demand from our clients, right? Like I'm not doing yeah. this because, hey, I think this is a good idea. I'm doing this because I see the, the market opportunity. It's really hard to provide these services in the middle of nowhere. You know, I, I know the hospital administrators are complaining. I can't find these sonographers. I'm so frustrated. They can't keep them. So I'm just solving that problem. Um, so part of it is having an eagle eye on the problem that my clients are facing 
and making sure we're solving that problem. Not, not yeah. the fancy features. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to solve the problem they have. We can get cute later, but let's solve this problem they have. So that has been uh, a focus. I do think part of that focus comes with the training from the MBA where it's like validate, validate, validate. Like that's, yeah. that is, I, that was so trained into me in that time that um, I know what the customer needs because they have said it a million times, you know, we're feeling that pain out there. Um, so I think as I'm building the technology side of it, I would say number one is keeping at the center of our development, um, the needs of our client, like number one, uh, and then number two, bringing on the best talent that I can identify in this early stages. So that that's really what we're focused on right now is growing this team and, uh, you know, that is a process right now. Uh, and like we've got openings coming out the wazoo and just trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this fast enough without losing the vision of uh, the company? On that front of hiring a, a tech team to really build this out and outsourcing the development of it, how are you approaching that side of things of growing the team for this? Because you just, you haven't hired this particular skill set necessarily yet from what you've done before. I'm just curious as to what your thinking is around that, the channels you're looking at, uh, any, I mean, anything in particular that might be helpful for other people. Yeah. So one of the interesting things that uh, one of my team members brought to me was this idea, uh, and we didn't, we didn't make this up. So there's, I, and I'm sorry, I can't even source the, tell you who it is, who created <laughs> this, but, but it's this idea that you write a thank you note to the person who you would have hired today one year from now. So imagining, mm. thank you for the job you did last year. You killed it. We brought you know our prototype to market and our clients accepted it. Um, you interfaced with the development team so seamlessly, you know, blah, 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 right? That, that would be kind of like our product manager one. Um, so you do this exercise of writing a thank you note and that uh, helps you define what do you need to happen this year? And then you create the objective statement off of that. And so we're really focusing on that technique, like because we're going to be moving so fast, we just need to make sure we're laser focused on what needs to happen in the next, you know, 365 days. Um, so that that is one thing. The other thing is, um, which it's going to sound like a broken record, but again, um, I am trying to hire a diverse technical team, um, which multiple people have told me that's not going to happen. Um, they're like, you know, finding women in tech is really hard. Finding brown people in tech is really hard. Well, I really don't care. I've done hard. We did 2008, yeah. you know, like, I don't care. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Who cares? So it's hard, you know, let's go. Uh, you know, I feel like someone's saying like challenge, you know, and I'm like, I, I take your challenge and we're going to have a different, <laughs> like, that's just, that's all there is to it because we're going to be intentional. And, and I believe we will have a better product. I'm a product that is focused on predominantly pregnant women. I need a technical team that's going to understand that. And it needs to be mixed, right? I need to be able to impact, you know, the the dads that might be in the room and then the moms that might be in the room. Like I need to be able to do both. So what does that look like? What does that UI UX look like? And if I don't have a diverse team, I'm going to be off. That's all there is to it. So that's what I'm, I'm focused on. I'm focused on, you know, where do we recruit to get a diverse team um, to get this stood up? I think we will end up with a better product because of it. Blanca, you've been around... 15 years with this business, gone through some some very tough times throughout this, you know, just your casual COVID as well as a big recession before. What's the ultimate vision for BB Imaging? I want our company to be known for 
bringing access to prenatal care to any woman anywhere. That's the goal. Um, we should be able to send a kit to a woman's house in the middle of, you know, middle of small town, Kansas, <laughs> and they should be able to get an ultrasound or take their own ultrasound is really where I'm going. Um, take their own ultrasound and send it back to us. And we have expert sonographers letting them know if they need, uh, you know, further follow-up. We want to redu- reduce maternal mortality and morbidity. Um, the U.S. has the worst rate of maternal mortality of all industrialized nations. That's crap. That is, that's not okay. Um, I want our company to be known for decreasing that rate. And we can if we can detect high-risk pregnancies sooner. So that's what I want to be known for. I want to be known for crushing the maternal mortality rate. I would love to see us impact it by 50%. There's a lot of factors that go into maternal mortality, but I want us to be responsible for reducing that rate by 50%. I think that's a bold goal, but no one else is attacking it. So yeah. why not? Like Someone has to. Someone has to. <laughs> <laughs> it might as, well be, might as well be you. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, like we know the space. No one else is doing what we do. Um, there, there are no competitors in the ultrasound space as we do it. Um, and, and I think that there's a lack of interest in um, maternal health sometimes, especially when we think of our underserved population. There, there's just not a motivation to do it. And I think that somebody hasn't done the math. I mean, it's a huge market. It's, it's a massive market. You know what I mean? It's like they're, they're, it's an economically good idea to serve this market. Um, But I just think there hasn't been interest. And part of that may be that just the demographic that is doing technology and health technology um, may not look like a pregnant woman. And so I think maybe that there's a reason that it hasn't been, the problem hasn't been addressed. With, with that being the the vision, kind of the driving force behind what you're doing, I know you mentioned growth and potentially raising some capital as well. I mean, what are you looking for in terms of the, the people you're looking for funding from? Like, what do you why? I'm just curious on that as well and how you're looking at that. Uh, we think we're going to be raising a million dollars. Um, we know about a third of it is, is um, uh, our lead investor is going to be coming in for about a third of it at least. Um, we love strategic partners. Uh, you know, if it was somebody who's had experience with the March of Dimes or that's got ties to hospital systems, uh, that would really be ideal for us. Um, but I also am aware that if I can be a little more general, that the timing in which we close this round could be faster, you know? Sure, uh, and so sure. it's kind of balancing that. Like um, I would love strategic partners, um, but I also would like to get to work and get this done. Cause <laughs> you know, every day that passes it's women that we are not serving. And yeah. so I have this incredible sense of urgency. It, it's, it's kind of, it's this really weird nagging, feeling like, like don't waste time. You know, there's, we cannot waste time. There's too much at stake here when we're thinking of, of moms and infants that could be served in a better way. Um, so I, I have this really um, kind of nagging thing that maybe I need to let go of a little bit, but it's, it's incredible motivation to get things going. With that as well. And understanding that clearly you're very driven to, to solve this massive need and you've come a long ways already how do you recharge? How do you step away? What helps you, you know, move forward and continue to, you know, kind of perform at your best as you're building this company? 
This will probably go down as like a weakness, you know, professional development and a performance improvement plan needed here. Um, I, I'm really pretty terrible. I will be honest with you. Um, I'm slightly obsessed about this. Um, and so it's, it is hard to turn it off. I do try to not work on Saturday and Sunday. Like that is like, I try to hold those days as like mine to not do anything. Um, I do walk every day with my husband, my husband, and I, we, we did get divorced by the way, we did get remarried. I've remarried the same, my same business partner. Um, yeah. and we do, uh, take a walk every morning for about an hour and debrief what is happening with the business. Um, it is, uh, it probably would be better if I was like meditating in that hour, but, um, <laughs> just kind of processing the day is very helpful. Um, but I don't know. I, I still have a really strong relationship with a lot of those girlfriends from, you know, you know, 20, some of them 20 years ago. Um, and so recharging for me often is just chatting, you know, like, yeah. and right now it's like the zoom happy hour. Like that's, that's a lot of what I do to recharge, but I wish I was better at it. I, I am not, I can't even say I'm good at it. <laughs> well, well, okay that's actually hilarious that you even mentioned being quote-unquote good at recharging because it's it's so funny <laughs> that we think we need to be good at it. i think entrepreneurs look at this question from that perspective of like being good at the recharging and i because i asked so many people this now i've gotten different opinions and different responses and it's come up as like in terms of you know you hear pattern matching this is something <laughs> i pattern i pattern match with entrepreneurs now of like we kind of think of it as like like winning at this or not like I'm winning yes. at recharging on top of winning at my business. <laughs> and it's just so funny because I, I think it's more of a matter of like what has helped you, you know? And like I, you mentioned the weekend thing and like being good at, you know, taking a step back from that. And I think it's more a matter of, as I've kind of talked to people, um, whatever works for you and if you feel good about that's more so what it's about if you feel more that you're 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 getting worn out and beat up over whatever, like then obviously something needs to change. But yeah. if you're not feeling that way, it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you work seven days a week every day, if you actually feel that your life is great and you're feeling good. But if you feel burnt out from that, that's a different thing. Uh, so it's just, it's just point. interesting. It's just fascinating to hear that. Yeah, it's kind of, it's actually kind of funny. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I do get great energy from this work, which is really yeah. interesting. You know, like I, oh, don't get, I get tired. Right. But I get tired oh, of sure. like mundane stuff. Like I have to fill out forms, you know, or I have to go do an application. Like that's what tires me. But yeah. like the, the business itself, I'm so, so, so grateful. The team I have, I enjoy working with. Like I legitimately like these people. And so what? Yeah, I know. Imagine that, right? Like you built a team of people you like, you know, that's, it's, it's very um, odd, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's interesting when you get to work with people that you like and that you respect and that, that they do great work. So I feel so, so grateful for that team. And we have been successful and we exist solely because of their work that they do and that they're excellent at what they do. And I, I don't know, I just, I, I just approach this from such a lens of gratitude um, yeah. I, and, and responsibility. Like, okay, we, we have been gifted all of this to work with. Um, I have a bank now, Justin. Like, oh my goodness. What yes. Do do? What do we do now? Like, it's amazing. <laughs> like the world is my oyster, you know? And so I do have this sense of, of responsibility. It's, it's, it's bizarre. And it's kind of ratcheted up when we started this technology journey. Like we can really do this. There's, yeah. there's no reason why we can't. And, um, 
I don't know. That's, that's very energizing. Yeah, it's very exciting. And uh, I can tell the passion that's there. And that's, that's, that's amazing. That's why I love talking to people that are building companies. Is the passion energy is there to really make an impact. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's infectious, really. I, I mean, it gets me excited every time I've talked to more and more people about building what I'm building as well. And, and Bob, just to wrap things up here, where can people go to learn more about BB Imaging, connect with you as well? So um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Blanca. Last name is Les Mess. It's like not as dirty. It's not fancy like French, like Lemay. It's <laughs> single S's. Um, um, or um, we are at bbimaging.net. Um, and we're on Instagram at bbimaging as well. So yeah, feel free to look us up, especially if you've got a technical background. Um, yeah. We are looking for diverse individuals um, and underrepresented individuals. So uh, totally hit us up. Blanca, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you, Justin. If ever you need anything, call me and I mean it. <laughs> I'll take you up on that. Watch out. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.